0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, the business of government. I am your host, Adam Jones. Today, we have a great topic about the challenging environment around single audit in government and nonprofit agencies. I am very happy to be joined by two of my favorites, two up and comers in the government audit practice at Weaver, partner Jennifer Ripka and partner Jackie Gonzalez. We have a lot to talk about today. Um, but I want to start uh, by letting you both um, take a shot at, at uh, telling our listeners and watchers a little bit about yourself. Jackie, when you entered public accounting, did it ever occur to you that you would gravitate toward government and nonprofit? And and how did that evolution happen in your career?
1: Yes, actually, because I started with the firm um, almost 18 years ago, and I started in June So really, when I started in the summer, our interim work for governments was kicking off. And um, one of the first jobs that I really did start to finish was a government. So I've really been in it since since day one. Um, And I like to tell all our new staff, it just made sense to me. I mean, we can understand what a city does. We understand what a school district does or a county. Um, And so to me, those are very tangible things um, that made a lot of sense. And so I think I did just naturally gravitate towards it and just I've never left. I've been here ever since. Never left. (laughs) Never left the firm. Never left the (laughs) government practice. I've just been here.
0: (laughs) Well, we are we are lucky to have you as are your clients, Um, Jennifer. Same question. You uh, touch all sorts of entities from school districts to cities to regional authorities. What attracted you to that part of our industry practice?
2: Well, I really, you know, I started at the firm or came to the firm because I was interested in governmental accounting. And so I knew that Weaver had a government practice. And, and so early on in my career as an intern, I wanted to work in that space. And, you know, luckily, Weaver has such a large government practice for, you know, me to be a part of. And then I worked alongside our partner in charge of the government services group very early on. Um, Sarah Dempsey and so she helped me she was a mentor to me and so um, I like Jackie you know loved the group and and decided to stay on because um, you know it it's one of those uh, situations where you know you love the people that you work with internally but also our client base is such a great great base to work with as well.
0: There's never been a year quite like the last couple of years in government insurance. We've seen a deluge of federal funds that that doesn't stop. And it's put a lot of government and not-for-profit entities in a category they weren't in before, many of them subject to a single audit. So let's start with basics, which is always helpful to me. Um, Jennifer, what is a single audit? What does that mean, and what situations and challenges come along with that?
2: Yeah, so I'll start off with just the basics. You know, what is a single audit? And you know, going all the way back to 1984, um, Congress passed the Single Audit Act, which required these, you know, essentially little mini audits of federal financial assistance. And and so today during this podcast, we're going to be focusing on. The federal financial assistance side, but there could be a state component as well for some of those entities out there that are listening. But, um, you know, going back to what a single audit is, again, it's just a mini audit of federal financial assistance. And so you start with that planning process, just like we would in a financial statement audit. And then we move through to the actual testing And then we have a reporting piece. And while you know reporting on the financial statement side is focused on everything within the entity, this is just going to be focused on the programs that we're testing. And and you're going to issue an opinion on that, you know, federal financial assistance program that you're reviewing and over compliance related to it. And then you're also looking at that internal control piece of it as well. So Again, you know, I just when we're talking to our staff about the um, what a single audit is, I just, you know, we Jackie and I do the internal trainings together. And so we're like, think about it as just a really small, you know, separate audit. And it's just focused on that that federal financial assistance programs.
0: So when we talk about single audit, we're talking about a single component of a broader financial statement audit. Um, You describe it as a small part. Sometimes it's not so small. So, Jackie, what triggers a single audit? Who's subject to it? And what kind of changing circumstance result in an entity all of a sudden looking at this requirement?
1: You know, like Jennifer said, and for all of our listeners today, there could be a state component, but what we're focusing on here is federal. So that federal trigger is $750,000. So if any non-federal entity expends $750,000 or more in federal awards within their fiscal year, then that triggers, if you will, a single audit. Um, But it gets a little tricky because especially with the pandemic and all the COVID funds that have come through, not all of those funds are subject to single audit. So we say, oh, look out for the COVID funds, $750,000 or more, you know, you may require a single audit. And then, you know, we get calls saying, I think I need one. We're like, oh, well, not that funding, not that particular piece. (laughs) So, you know, like so many things, it, it just depends. It depends on which programs you're receiving. Um, you know how you're receiving the money. Of course, how much you're receiving, um, and so in total, that seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars is a threshold. But then Jennifer mentioned individual programs that would be audited, and we call those major programs that triggers also seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So we've also gotten into a predicament where you know an entity, maybe a city, has gotten. in federal funds, but all of those are pretty small. None of them exceeded $750,000 individually um, that were expended. So what that means now is we have to do not just one major program, but maybe several. Um, So there are just so many considerations to take into account when we start talking about federal funds and whether or not a single audit is triggered. And then, you know, for those that have never had one, where do we even begin?
0: Right. So sometimes the sum gets to $750,000, and you are the surprise recipient of a brand new single audit. So, Jennifer, any large city or school district hits that $750,000 threshold easily, old hat to the major big governmental entities. But what are some of the biggest challenges other clients have experienced As they're emerging from the pandemic and all of a sudden are subject audit requirements they're not familiar with.
2: Right. I mean it goes all the way back to, you know, before even the pandemic, and it it really stems from first identification. And so a lot of our clients and you know, other entities out there may not even be aware that they have triggered a single audit. And so looking through, you know, city council minutes or reaching out to uh, their, you know, city departments to figure out what grants they've even, you know, applied for can be difficult because as auditors, we're, you know, directly speaking with the finance department and you're coming out, you're doing the audit. And then as we move through the audit, you may find out that, the fire department went out and they decided that they wanted to seek out some of this funding that's out there, which is great. It's great for, you know, not only the city, but also the citizens, because they're getting a lot of, you know, funding out there that they wouldn't previously have um, if it weren't for these programs. But if not everyone is on the same page, if communication has been broken down somewhere, you could run into a situation where not everyone is aware that they could have a single audit. And so identification is really just you know the main one. And then looking through grant agreements. So after you do identify, we do have these grants that we've received, determining whether or not it does meet federal or state, or if it's local and it wouldn't require a single audit is super important as well. And so determining whether or not you have an assistance listing program in the, gr- the grant agreement. That would, you know, as auditors, we would say, OK, if an AL is listed in there or formally the CFDA number, you have a federal financial assistance program and we need to determine whether or not we have a single audit associated with it. And so those, that identification piece is really, really important.
0: As, as a former government administrator, I am very sympathetic to the right hand and left hand not knowing what each other's doing. So As you describe this, I have to think that there's a qualitative aspect. Obviously, as as auditors, we want to make sure the funds are in the right place. We also want to make sure people are good stewards. So, Jackie, how do entities figure out how to best use funds they know are going to be audited? So, using funding for existing programs or funding new programs or uh, reimbursing expenditures that may have happened in the past, how do you sustain a big influx of money and make decisions when it may or may not be a sustainable funding source?
1: So I do think deciding how to spend the funds and be a good steward of those funds for the students or the citizens of the government is a big challenge and what we've heard a lot from our clients. And I think understanding what's allowable under the grant first and foremost is the most important because remember in a single audit or when anyone, whether you trigger that audit or not, your compliance is required and your grantor could come and look at that. And so understanding what's allowable and then having that discussion amongst management and governance about, you know, are we gonna use this for a one-time spend or are we going to use it in addition to an existing program, um, and how is that sustainable? Or is it not, and that's okay? I mean, I think understanding that from the get-go is really important, and then not trying to stretch um, the definition of what is allowable. Um, I think we see that we see that a lot, and you know, there are these programs that the governments really want to do, and they know it's going to be so helpful, but it's not exactly in the black and white of what's allowable. Um, And then so you just get into questions and then compliance becomes a little more difficult. So I think really thinking through that at the onset, looking at your budget, looking where you're going to expend the funds and then making sure all of those involved really understand that, you know, maybe we are going to do, you know, premium pay this time. But this is a one time spend. We are not we don't have the funds to continue to do this or, you know, we are going to. To fund some infrastructure, but that's a one time spend. It's not ongoing. And if there are costs ongoing with that infrastructure, we will have to fund that from a different source. So I think really understanding those challenges and understanding that, you know, even if it's not COVID related grants, grants in general are not necessarily for the long term. They will run for a grant period, which may be a year. Um, it could it be two to four years, but it is not going to be you know, very, very long term. And so really having to think about that, think about your budget and, and what works best and is most manageable is really important.
0: Yeah, grant managers discussing allowable becomes an art, not a science every once in a while. And that creativity is not always amenable to people who are auditing them. But speaking of that, Jennifer, I'm going to throw a curveball out here. Sometimes it's not that entity spending the money. An entity with a large federal grant is often passing it out to somebody else, and those may also be governments or not for profits, or sometimes uh, even private recipients or individuals. So, talk a little bit about subrecipient monitoring and an entity's responsible for, responsibility for that in a single audit.
2: That's right, Adam. A lot of our clients are experiencing situations where they're passing through their funding to other organizations. And in those instances, a lot of times they're not set up necessarily to do so. So they're adding in this additional layer into their process that they previously didn't have, you know, especially if they're an, a client where they do have um, single audits on a reoccurring basis. So they already have their structure set up. Um, They're already in the mix of doing single audits regularly, but when you incorporate this other piece of passing through funding to other organizations, it can be stressful and complex at times because you're not only worried about your compliance with the programs, but also the compliance of the organizations that you're passing that funding onto, and And so it could be a situation where you need additional staff or um, you you're required to put together a guide for those organizations to utilize because maybe they're a first time um, grant recipient. A lot of things go into or are placed into play when it comes to subrecipient monitoring.
1: I do think that the government will say it's easier if this not-for-profit runs this program, because that's what they do. We would have to hire the staff to run that program, and we're not prepared to take on that additional staff and run that program. And what they're not considering is, well, you may have to hire staff to monitor that nonprofit, and they're going to have to know that program anyway, Um, and then you're going to have to provide that ongoing monitoring throughout the course of that grant um, however long that is, if it's a year, two years. And then that nonprofit thinks, you know, your city is the expert because you're giving them money. And so you're there to answer questions on compliance and to monitor them and and to make sure that that flow of federal funds is in compliance with, you know, uniform guidance and everything from that federal department. And so I think. A lot of times, they, a government and you know management will think it's easier if we pass that money through. But then there's other requirements that you have to take into consideration, and just make sure that you're prepared. Talking about that
2: piece, you know, going back to the other earlier when you were talking about, you know, ensuring that you're utilizing the funding to the best you know ability, and and not putting yourself in a situation where, when the funding's gone, you you know you don't know what you're going to do. You're left with a, all of these different things. And so we do see that with nonprofit organizations a lot of times as well. And they may have said, oh, great, we're going to get a million dollars from the city. We're going to buy this. We're going to hire these people. And when you do that, you have to think about the longevity of that funding as well.
0: Yeah, the more we talk, the more complex this gets. So we better stop. But (laughs) I do want to know, uh, we'll start with Jackie. What are the responses of some of your clients to these requirements? Are they hiring more staff in accounting and audit and internal audit to keep track of it all, or are they kind of weathering the storm and doing this with existing resources? What kind of trends you are you seeing out there?
1: Well, I think the trend is we're going to try to do it with the staff that we have. Um, and a lot of times you will feel that those staff get overwhelmed pretty quickly um, because they may be, even if they are a long time, you know, recipient of a single audit and they have several grants and they have for many years, the type of funding that we're seeing now is a bit different. And because it's new, especially the COVID funds, you know, they're emergency funds, um, which are great. And they help a lot of organizations and a lot of people. Um, but that also means that they were built in an emergency state and so there are not a lot of compliance requirements pushed out at first which means they're ever changing as that program continues and so to be in that position of you know a grant manager you have to always be on the lookout for updated FAQs on a government website or you know new releases of you know requirements that have come out um, and so, that's adding to the job that you've already got. You, maybe you've had these 10 grants and you know those like the back of your hand. And now you're adding on three more that are brand new. Nobody really has ever seen them. You're all seeing them at the same time. Um, but there are there are dollar constraints because, you know, I think as management, that CFO or director of finance thinks, can I justify another person in our grants department that I know is not going to be here you know, for the long term, could I find something else for them to do once these grant dollars have all been expended in a couple of years? So I do think it is a very big challenge. And I think really understanding what all that entails, you know, and that kind of helps you make the decision. Okay, are we going to outsource these funds? Are we even going to accept these funds? Does that make sense for us to accept these funds? And then can we go hire people or bring in people from other departments to really help facilitate what it's going to take, not only to ensure compliance, but internal controls over compliance.
0: It's a whole series of if-then statements for organizations that may not be used to them. So now we're to the lightning round. I think this has been a fantastic discussion. Closing thoughts, Jennifer, what is your single best piece of advice to some of the new entities um, maybe subject to a single audit for the first time?
2: I would say that, you know, the first thing is communication. If you aren't focused on communication throughout the organization, you could put yourself in a situation where, one, you're expending funds um, that, you know, finance doesn't know about, revenue recognition is not lining up. Um, Also explaining a lot of the different complexities and compliance requirements to boards or city council members, et cetera. That can be difficult. You know, we didn't talk about this in the beginning, but um, if you are a first-time single audit recipient, you could be in a you know a situation where you're presenting to the board, um, and uh, they find out that you're not a low-risk auditee. And they want to know, well, why are we not low risk? We're a great city. You know, we're doing great things here. And it really has nothing to do with the organization themselves. It's just the way the requirements are set up. So communication back and forth um, internally, externally can be key.
0: It's the old, it's not you, it's me, right? Yes. (laughs) Jackie, same question. Closing thoughts?
1: Really, but I think what I would advise a client is to ask ask a lot of questions, ask them from everyone that you come across, because you have to know what you're getting into with these grants. You're going to have to know the requirements. You're going to have to know the implications. Your city council or your board are going to ask you a lot of questions. So I think the information gathering piece of it is hugely important. And you know, as auditors, we do this every day. We're used to single audits. So ask us, pick our brains about what we know about a single audit, Um, Jennifer and I joke that we could talk about single audits for hours and hours and days and days, and our staff can attest to that, that we speak about it for two days and it's not long enough. Um, But throughout the course of that, there is so much information to absorb. And if you're new to it, you can't possibly do that, you know, by reading one contract or one grant agreement. And so I think to ask is hugely important. I mean, then not forgetting that not only are the auditors gonna come and audit compliance, but also internal controls over compliance. And a lot of people aren't really sure what that means, but to us it means make sure that you have proper segregation of duties in place, make sure that you have someone reviewing and documenting their review of an application, of a request for reimbursement of your reporting, make sure that you have all of that documented, because we are going to want to look at those things. And we aren't just looking for compliance, but also the internal controls. And that's a huge piece that I think, if you've never undergone a single audit, that you may miss in that first year.
0: Thank you so much, Jackie Gonzalez, Jennifer Ripka. This has been a terrific discussion. I know that you could go on for seven hours, but I cannot. But as always, we welcome your follow-up to all of our episodes here at Weaver, the business of government, another fantastic discussion. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Adam Jones.